Welcome to the Artform Podcast. I'm your host, Artform Tim. On this episode, we have a legendary East Coast skateboarder, Bobby Puglio. You may know Bobby from his video parts in FTC, Static, Traffic, Infamous, Mad Circle. He's been putting it down since the 90s. He's just an OG, always had the best style, very unique approach to skateboarding. We had a chance to talk about growing up as a skateboarder, graffiti, and what he's up to these days with his Instagram feed and kind of the narrative of today. Uh, We got pretty deep, so I'm really stoked to have Bobby on the show. Uh, He's a straight up G. Uh, Sit back, relax, and listen to the show. Bobby Puglio, thank you so much for joining the Rform podcast. Stoked to have you on. Sure. Pleased to be here. I'm, I'm glad that we we're able to connect. Uh, you know, obviously, I grew up skateboarding, big fan, uh, very familiar with pretty much anything and everything that you put out there. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to kind of preface with this, uh, what we're trying to do here with the Artform podcast is focus less on, I guess, the skateboarding mm-hmm. aspect of things and more about like the lifestyle and the culture and the art of skating and the things that kind of surround it. Uh, I always find that the stories of people that have kind of been somewhat of on like the perimeters and kind of kind of come through it and gone through it way more interesting mm-hmm. than let's say, you know, sitting down and talking to, you know, I'm not going to put anyone on blast, but let's say the big A-list guy of the day. You yeah, know yeah, yeah. Because they just get so much exposure and we kind of know all that stuff, but uh, we're like way more interested in kind of like the lifestyle and the culture and, and things like that. So sure. that's, uh, that's why I'm kind of like really stoked. And then just in terms of like why I think I've always resonated with what I've seen in your skateboarding and the parts is that, and I don't know this for a fact, and maybe we can get into this, but uh, it always seemed like you were in graffiti or part of graffiti or around graffiti. It seemed like you had like an appreciation for that. So a lot of the guys that I grew up with, a lot of guys in my crew that like, we were all writers, like we kind of resonated to you or like one of our guys uh, because we kind of also had that, like that, that kinship there as well. Um, but just kind of take it to, to the, to the beginning. So where are you from originally? I'm from, yeah, I'm from Clifton, New Jersey, which is a, a suburb of New York city, uh, slash in between kind of like Newark, New Jersey, New York. And, uh, you know, there's a couple like pockets around where I grew up, uh, of like industrial cities. Patterson, New Jersey is, is very, is the next town over from where I grew up. And, uh, and yeah, it's just kind of in the thick of like that sort of northern New Jersey kind of like, you know, on the outskirts of New York City slash industrial swampland, which is New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I grew up there. Uh, I was born in Lynnhurst, which is kind of like right in the middle of the Meadowlands. And I lived there f- for the first two years of my life. My, my parents are both from Lynnhurst. And uh, then we moved to Clifton when I was two. And uh, I grew up in Clifton until the mid 90s when I uh, actually early, I guess, I guess, 93, 94, I moved, maybe it was even 95, I think I moved to Manhattan. And then uh, I lived in Manhattan for a little while. And then I moved to San Francisco. And then I moved back to New Jersey. And then I went back to SF. And then I moved kind of permanently back to New York. And oh, wow. That's the, a lot of bouncing. Uh, not lot of bouncing. really. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was, 
I moved to SF because my sponsors were out there. So, right. uh, you know, F, uh, when I first went out there was for Mad, uh, was for stereo and in between stereo and mad circle, I got a place and then I came back and then moved. I came back to New Jersey, lived at my parents' house for a little while and then moved back to SF for a little while. And then mad circle, was still going by the time I had moved back to New York and then Mad Circle ended kind of shortly thereafter. That would that would have been around 98. Yeah. And 98, 99, I ended up in um, I ended up on the Upper East Side, kind of like at the cusp of Harlem. And uh, and then that's when I wrote for Infamous living up there. And then um, and then from there, I moved downtown and then to Brooklyn. And now I'm in Queens. I got three boroughs, three boroughs covered. <laughs> three boroughs covered. Uh, what year did you pick up a skateboard? Like how old are you when you kind of like discovered uh, it? That would have been like 1984. 84, all right. What was your first board? Uh, my first board was like a, uh, like a, just a shitty uh, GT Coyote, I think. Like a blue generic kind of plastic skateboard. Yeah. Yeah. What about your first like legit skateboard? My first legit board was a, a Powell Peralta Sword and Skull. Yeah. Oh classic yeah. Yeah. yeah mine was the gons which one the classic uh the classic the vision yeah, yeah. Mm. Tachyjan. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's tight um okay cool so so you you pick up a board in the 80s um and that's like kind of where you get your legs and it seemed like you, you moved around a lot um but just in terms of like where you started to kind of get your your sea legs on your skateboard like where was that like primarily like who was who was part of that click uh well i quickly found a couple of people in my neighborhood that skated uh this guy victor bedore uh this guy tom farkas and a few older cats um you know it, it was kind of like there was there was two or three little spots one of the spots in my neighborhood was called weaselbrook park and uh weaselbrook park had this natural it was a playground and it had this natural um brick pyramid in it with a sliding pond in the middle, a slide. And that was one of the spots that the skateboarders skated at. And it was kind of down the street from this skate shop called the Clifton Speed Center. And the Clifton Speed Center was both bikes and skateboards. And, but that was the main skate shop. So the Clifton yeah. Speed Center would have demos and, and like kind of like skate jams every summer. Yeah. So just through like, that place and then Weaselbrook Park and then School 11 was another spot by my house. You see a lot of kids skating School 11 still. It's another brick pyramid spot uh, with like silver rails on top of it. Um, Freddie's- is that, is that like the main one that like you see in, in footage nowadays? Uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of people, it's, it's definitely become like kind of a destination spot. Yeah. Um, you know, Freddie's had photos. There. A lot of people have had footage there. A lot, I don't really follow like too many like, you know, skateboarders these days, but I see it pop up now and now and again. But um, that was in Passaic, which is the next town over. And it was like kind of a short distance from my house too. But just through those places. And then eventually I started uh, meeting people from other cities. Um, and, you know, a lot of kids would come through, uh, mainly through Charlie Butterly, who started Nimbus. Uh, you know, Jeff Pang would come mm -hmm. in New Jersey and Brian Blake lived in um, Brian Blake lived in Ridgewood. 
And Ian and Charlie, who had started Nimbus together, were both from that region. So that kind of like linked us up with those guys. And because of Nimbus, that linked us up with like Jeff and Peter BC and Ryan Hickey. So and then I started going into the city with those guys. And uh, then that's how the whole thing kind of like, you know, became yeah. interconnected. I mean, northern New Jersey has always been and New Jersey in general has always been a huge um, kind of uh, central location for skateboarding. Uh, obviously you go all the way back to, I mean, Cherry Hill in yeah. the seventies, that's Southern New Jersey, sort of South, you know, South, Southern central New Jersey. But, uh, in, then as you move up, you know, you have Edison, you have New mm -hmm. Brunswick, which is Mike Vallely, Dune, uh, Rodney Smith, who was one half of shut. And then as you move uh, north, you get into like Felix and Coco. Felix is Union City. Um, and then you have a whole bunch of other guys. Then you now, now you're talking like shut kind of crew. Right. Mike yeah. Kepper, you know, um, and uh, and then, you know, then boom, it's like New York. Then you have Connecticut, Pennsylvania and all, all the parts kind of come together. So it was, you know, once you clicked into the right kind of network, mm -hmm. it was like, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. You it's know, and, and, and I always wonder, like, if you're a kid today growing up, is your experience with skateboarding and connecting with, you know, your local cities and your little crews, like, is it the same experience? Like, do you think it's the same experience? Or do you think that experience was kind of dictated by all the factors that made it what it was, right? I mean, we didn't have cell phones. We had pay phones. We had to take yeah. the bus. You, you, things you were slower. Parks, right? We didn't have skate parks, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like, like, what do you think a kid's experience is? You think they have that similar experience where they're bouncing around? I mean, you know, now, now I can only imagine it's primarily uh, motivated by the town's local park as, mm -hmm. as, like a, as like a breeding ground or a starting point. Yeah. Um, you know, you travel to each place and you skate the park and then, you know, maybe there's a spot or whatever. Um, you know, obviously there's crews of kids now too, which probably are generally and or primarily dictated by the, the local park because the local skate park is kind of like, you know, like my Weaselbrook or, mm -hmm. or the Brooklyn right, Beans. right. You know, yeah. you could easily make a correlation between the scene at the um, the park in Lower Manhattan under the Manhattan Bridge, mm -hmm. um, you could easily correlate that to that is today what the Brooklyn Banks was back in the day. Yeah. It just so happened yeah. that the Brooklyn yeah. Banks wasn't built as a skate park. That's the only thing that kind of like, you know, uh, is different is that you're getting spaces that are created primarily for skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my generation, there was places, the, the local skate park wasn't a skate park. It was a playground or, a, you know, whatever. Right. Park yeah. Yeah. Oddity. I, I wonder what gets lost in translation, right? Because uh, you're right. You know, we would have a local curb and then the equivalent of that is, let's say, the North Hollywood skate park. Right. Sure. Or you have something and the, the equivalent of that was maybe Love Park. You know, what do you think gets lost in translation? from a skate park or a legit, you know, plaza or skate spot or having being forced to push around on the streets. Do you think anything gets lost in translation? Well, you know, I, in terms of loss, I, I don't know, you know, having the thing, and 
I've talked about this a lot, but the thing that's cool about the spot that is the skate park that was not built as a skate park is that, you know, you're dealing with architectural uh, oddities, if you will, that's not the perfect transition that's at yeah. the skate park, you know, so mm -hmm. that that non-perfect transition will develop certain style or a certain skill or a certain movement or a certain um you know approach that will that will shape you slightly differently from not only the next person yeah but, you know no that, that's a, that's a good point it's like it's it, i would say from what I've witnessed from your skateboarding is that, you know, you've always found very unique approaches to very unique spots. And then you would find a way to, let's say, skate them the hard way, if you will. Right. There's, there's like the easy way to do a trick on something. There's like the hard way. And it seems like you always take the hard way. Well, it's funny because it, it, it's funny because a lot of those, a lot of those spots that, you know, that you might be mentioning or, or, or thinking about, what I always try to do was the easiest trick that I could possibly do <laughs> at this difficult spot. Cause a lot of the times it's like the spot is really only built for like one or, you know, I mean, I'm not right, saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard you. Yeah. It, it's funny because like, like uh, it's almost the equivalent of saying uh, like with jazz, right. It's like, you can get on a stage and you, you can have somewhat of a structure or a framework. Um, you can know what key you're going to be in, but, but then it just kind of goes from there. Yeah. And whatever you bring to it, you're bringing it. But at the same time, you can also put on a jam track and it's not going to change. Yeah. Right? It's a jam track. It's pre-recorded. You can sit there and you can still be very creative. I kind of look at that like as skating a skate park. It's not to say you can't still rip or be very creative and come out of the box, right. but it's kind of like a jam track. Right. It's not like bombing down the street, being chased by like the local gangsters or like right. the cops are running after you, you know, right. like a lot of the times with skate parks, there's really only a few different ways, you know, that, I mean, that's partially the, 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 the concept of skate parks having very general objects, you mm -hmm. know, and, and on a lot of the skate parks are not built that creatively, you know, right. whereas the spot that's not built as a skate park, it opens up like, you know, kind of like a couple of different, you know, other options. Yeah. You know, you could it's funny because like, cause, cause like kids will always, I think there's always a way to, to make skateboarding homogenous, right? Like there's trends, if you will. So me growing up, the trend was a bench and a picnic table. Yeah. And that, that can, can become pretty boring and pretty stale after a while. Sure. Right. Very like almost like the equivalent of going to, let's say, a skate park that's already built for you and says, hey, here's your ledge and here's your hip. Right. Yeah. Whereas I remember when I went to San Francisco for the first time, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like I didn't yeah. even know how to skate it. You know? especially with some the avenues up there it was like you're getting these configurations of things that are just you're not going to find at a skate park you know yeah. even too it's funny because because even if you go back to the first kind of concrete parks kind of second wave concrete parks like for instance and and this is funny because it's northern california but benicia yep. if you look at benicia as a as one of the first second generation concrete parks very weird they built there's yeah. no coping there's, you know, it's like, there's no lips on anything. There's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's so weird. It's just, it's just a bunch of Twinkies, yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny too, because in a sense, you know, it's sort of dis. well, I shouldn't say distant, but it's, 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 it's father is, is uh Derby, which is yeah. too, you know, and the dish, yeah. the dish, the is dish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so it's funny that that Benicia was like the first one that got built kind of second wave of concrete. Yeah, that is funny. It yeah. is a very, very strange park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been in all those parks and I was like, what, who, who, like, what were they thinking when they built these things? Yeah. I mean, was it an accident? It ends up being super fun because you have to like force yourself yeah. to like learn it and to see where yeah. the hips and the angles are, yeah. you know? Super versus having everything presented to you yeah. you know i always look at it as like a i i say skateboarding is a great american art form for sure just like jazz yeah right but we we don't view it that way we don't really revere, revere it that way and we just say here's some kids off in the corner on some useless wooden toys right but we don't really have any reverence for it so like because that in some ways in some respects i mean you know i'd like the older dogs like myself you know i try to have a lot of reverence and, and do things but just in general, it seems like if you looked at, let's say the ballet or you looked at a baseball, like there's, these are institutions. These are things that have like history and they preserve their art and they have, you know, they go out of their way for this art form. Like there's no going out of their way for skateboarding other than making a skate park in many ways. Yeah. You know? Right. The, the skate, the, the public skate park is kind of ha has now become, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Let me, let's talk a little bit about a graffiti. So did you, did you grow up writing? I mean, what was your experience like growing up with graffiti? Uh, you know, it was just kind of, that's, it was the dominant sort of, uh, I, I want to say dominant art form, you know, because then you get into the, the kind of debate of like, is it art? Is it not? Art? Right. But uh, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in Northern New Jersey, I would uh, drive Route 3 from my mother's house, from my parents' house to my, my grandmother's house. And on Route 3, there would be tags that would show up on the, on the highway walls. Um, and uh, then when I started coming into Manhattan, it was like I would take the PATH train from Hoboken to, to Greenwich Village. And I would get off at 9th Street or I would get off at the World Trade Center downtown. The World Trade Center downtown to the banks you know, it was just short distance. But when I would get off in Greenwich Village, uh, there was there was this, you know, 8th Street in the village was kind of like a, a, a prime sort of shopping street. It was like one of the main thoroughfares. And all the graffiti writers would, would catch tags through there and hang out there. Washington Square Park, blah, blah, blah. Not necessarily a lot of tags in the park, but mm -hmm. around the park, just the village in general was kind of like a, a, a main hangout spot. So you had a lot of graffiti writers that, you know, I mean, Manhattan in the in the late 80s, early 90s was kind of like, you know, there was graffiti all over Manhattan. Yeah. Um, now Manhattan is like less, you know, I don't know. Now, nowadays, it's, it's not necessarily like that. Uh, back then, you had to dominate all of the avenues in Manhattan. Like it was kind of like, you know, something that graffiti writers just did. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's less important because um, you can kind of like take photos of your stuff and post it on the internet and blah, blah, yeah. blah. I'm yeah, not that's saying that there's not, that there's not still graffiti there, but, you know, um, but it, it's difficult too because graffiti's changed a little bit. You know, yeah. a lot of the guys that I looked up to are not really around anymore right uh, in terms of like active graffiti you mm. know, bombing. Who, who were some of the guys that you saw growing up as a kid like some of the, the big names that uh you know obviously sn and uh giz mm -hmm. and 
um, JA, JA yeah. um, uh, Deal RFC, a lot of the RFC guys. Um, I mean, there was there's tons. Trake, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's tons and tons of of dudes. Uh, Ark was one guy who dominated the village. Um, yeah, tons and tons of dudes, like different crews. You know, FTR, MTA, Odessa. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had you had dudes that would that would take over you know entire avenues and then there was dudes that were primarily like train line guys like right Cruz, you know or nato you rode yeah. the seven train you always saw those guys um you know not to say that they weren't street bombing but but they were primarily like queens guys and then there was primarily brooklyn guys like um um dinker is a great you know uh example of you know a guy a cynic he was a skateboarder uh then you got down to the banks and and there was dudes that were like you know kind of lower manhattan centric like um sev you know sev mm-hmm. had like every single block around the brooklyn banks kind of covered uh Vifer was another guy that you saw tons of stuff and then you would go up to harlem and you would see Vifer tags up there um so it was interesting to see like where certain people would kind of write their graffiti. Um, but uh, yeah, those are, you know, some of the, some of the dudes that I saw when I was growing up. Yeah, that's rad. Yeah. You know, graffiti is funny because it's, it's like a language of the streets and in LA, you can tell where the gangs are, right? Because of gang graffiti and it's very different than, you know, seeing the people that are just, you know, out for, out for fame or the bombers. And we have the freeways, we don't have the train. So, uh, but you know, you, you start to learn the language of the streets, kind of like cruising through the skate spot and, you know, sure. it's kind of status quo to roll around with a mean streak or, you know, to try to get it after, after hours, you know, with, with crew after you're doing whatever. And, yeah. you know, someone's got some cans and go, you know, get it. You know, it, I've seen graffiti kind of change through the years. Um, I'm curious to get your, your take on this, but when we were growing up, you know, you, you didn't really tell people you're a graffiti writer. It wasn't something that you talked about. You just kind of kept it way on the low because so many factors, right? If you're in the wrong area, you're coming in contact with the wrong crew or you got beef with someone like it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there was like this whole element of being very, very on the low mm-hmm. with that aspect of things. I mean, you would have writers benches and, and things of that nature and, and, you know, your barbecues with the crew and whatnot, but like, you didn't really go past that. Now, I think with, Instagram and the internet and everything everyone's out for this like pseudo fame kind of like you're saying it's like do you really need to go are people trying to get up like on the streets or are they trying to get up on Instagram you know and then like you see these guys and they have a lot more time to paint so they're getting a lot more intricate it's cool and I'm I'm not knocking any of it I think it's great but kind of like this aspect of, of internet fame versus like putting in the work you know what I'm saying like what do you think about that uh yeah I mean you know I think Scuff had had recently mentioned this, but, you know, there there was certain guys that that are, you know, kind of famous or infamous. And this, you know, those guys, you know, their names and that's all pre pre Internet. You yeah. know, um, having said that, you know, I, I go to Manhattan less and less um, and even just my neighborhood. Like, you know, I don't want to say I, I don't leave my neighborhood, but. Lately, I have. I haven't left my neighborhood that often. And if I do, it's really just to go to like, you know, Greenpoint, which is another neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, So, you know, I traverse that area and, you know, you see, 
some of the younger generation of kids that are up and uh you know it's they do their thing and and then there's a whole then there's the whole um instagram presence yeah or 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 internet presence or whatever you know youtube is another one too it's funny i i uh you know in the same kind of suggestion you know a thing that we were talking about earlier um pre-interview uh, YouTube will suggest these videos and I'll watch, I'll watch certain YouTube videos on graffiti and there's newer, newer YouTube videos that will showcase, you know, walking tours of like certain neighborhoods. And a lot of the times, and this is true, even going back then, you know, predominantly the bulk of graffiti writers that are out there, even back then were crappy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like whack graffiti writers right yeah it's every like fifth or tenth dude that you get yeah. a tag and you're like oh well that's this dude you know whatever yeah um and so you know there's that said there's a lot of crappy graffiti writers now for instance um you know everyone has everyone starts out kind of crappy sure um and there's guys that we'll take a crappy style or a, a crappy graffiti tag or whatever it is. And if they do it enough, it kind of like almost is like the, the sheer quantity of it makes I it. I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. You know? Totally. I mean, I wasn't even a fan of like, you know, what was like uh, graph film with cap, you know, when I first saw cap, I was like, eh, you know, but then like he just went and went and went and just bombed and bombed. He did so much. It just became like, I mean, cap cap uh, like was, og cap yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you know like i'm saying like when i first saw in the 80s whatever film i forgot i'm, I'm thinking of style oh, wars or something yeah, you know? yeah. yeah but you know if something like that becomes iconic sure. versus looking at let's say scene right right right, right, right this right. guy's like the master you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny when when uh when ear snot first came out i remember seeing his his graffiti tag and i was like ear that person writes ear snot <laughs> And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, there, that there was, it was all over the place. And, yeah. uh, and, and it became, you know, one of the most iconic graffiti, yeah. like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, yeah. But it's funny, you know, just repetition can be a very powerful, uh, you know, have a very powerful effect on people. There was a kid recently who wrote surf, not S E R F S U R F. Um, and uh, he would just scriggle his tags everywhere. And I, there was a certain point where, you know, where I would see them and I would get psyched. I was like, oh, there's that, you know. And then you kind <laughs> of develop like, I wonder what this kid looks like. And you think like, oh, this kid looks like this. And then you develop like a kind of like um, almost like a cartoon character or like a comic <laughs> book hero, like going out. Totally. And there's this. Surf, that's Surf's like, got to have long blonde hair. I mean, come on. It's funny because I kind of thought like, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of made up a different, uh, you know, identity for them. But uh, yeah, there, there, there's, uh, there's two kids in my neighborhood and or around this, this area where I live. One writes S O C E SOS, or I don't know how you would mm-hmm. pronounce it. And then he's got another partner. I can't remember the partner's name, but they have been writing graffiti around here a lot. And uh you know, they do their, they do their thing and it's not the best graffiti, but it's like, you see them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was, it was funny. It's like, uh, I feel like that art form and even breaking, like I grew up breaking 
there was a lot of like a, a lot of mentorship kind of top down, you uh-huh. know, yeah, I was a DJ. We always use a hip hop heads, you know? So like you would look to the old dogs and they would say, Oh no, you, this is how you do it. Or this yeah. is how you, you know, they would kind of like give you that guidance and direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know if like a lot of that stuff is going down, you know, that's, that's why I always question. I'm like, is, is that gone? Does that still exist? You yeah, know, like, well, you know, even like skate spots. I mean, how many times have you rolled up on somewhere? You're like, yo, don't catch a tag here. Cause I got to keep skating here. Like kind of yeah. shutting people down, you know? Well, again, it's like, you know, now we live in the age of like tutorials on Instagram or I'm not <laughs> YouTube or, or totally. Instagram where you, you know, it's less of like a, a handed down art form pre-internet. Mm-hmm where now it's, you can learn anything off of, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely different now, which is fine. Yeah. You know, whatever. Totally. You know, totally. I, and I don't knock it. I mean, I, I try to think, shoot, if I was 14 coming up today, of course I'd, I'd use all the tools and, yeah. and you know, it's rad. What I think is even cooler is like when you see someone kind of like slip through the cracks and you're like, what's going on with this dude yeah something going on here what in regardless whatever the art form is like you'll you'll see it like you'll hear a rapper or like you'll just catch something you're like i don't know how this guy like made it through this little internet maze to my ears or my eyes yeah something's like i'm digging something here you know like who are some of the skaters that you like digging right now like or just artists in general like who's kind of slipped through the cracks on your end you know Again, a lot of it is reduced down to uh, catching something on YouTube uh, or Instagram. Um, Last night, I watched a Santa Cruz video, like a 30-minute Santa Cruz video. I probably made it through about 17 minutes of it. But um, in terms of – there was – I also watched this dude – I don't know, something tram Tron arc or some, some guy on real, I can't remember his name, but he reminded me a lot of like the tricks that guys started doing later on mm-hmm. guys like, you know, last incarnation of kind of like Lakai guy. Yeah. Lakai guy. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and even, uh, even post Lakai guy more, more like almost, yeah, but definitely Lakai guy. On yeah. Yeah. I know saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that dude uh, kind of was like, you know, I don't want to say I liked him, but it was like I watched the whole thing and kind of like kept me. Right. Um, you know who's really amazing is uh, Ishad. Oh, that guy's bananas. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to watch. Um, and then uh, you know, I like a lot of like kind of I like watching like pool skating. Mm-hmm. Um, I like watching wild, like park skating, you know, kind of like bowl centric stuff. Yeah. But none of none of that stuff compares to like watching older stuff, you know. Totally. What what part would you say you watched probably more than anything else? Uh, in my life. In your life. Uh, Gonz's video days part or guys mouse part. Yeah. Those are the two, and then t- and then Henry's uh, Tim and Henry's. Yeah. You know, Henry's been skating again. Oh man. It's that's, that's somebody who I love watching and I love watching his, his most recent clips. Mm-hmm. You know, the pop shove it nose grind on that. Bench. Dude, I'm getting so hyped. Dude, that I'm was- like, I don't know, Henry, shout out Henry. Maybe we'll get you on the show. 
like growing up, Henry was like my guy, you know, yeah. that was like my dude. I was yeah. like, Henry, I want to be just, Henry Sanchez. You know, he's, and, and the great thing about Henry, and, and this is, you know, where you get into like that whole kind of, you know, conversation about back then versus now. And I'm not saying that a lot of stuff is not being done nowadays. That's, that's never been done, but Henry is like literally forging all of these tricks out of like, you know, nowheresville where yeah. a lot of the stuff that these kids are doing now has been kind of, the concepts have been demonstrated. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I, I would say like kind of throwing back to some of the stuff that I've seen you throw down. I, I think like if there was a word for me that, that kind of describes watching your parts, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've always watched your parts. And been, huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's interesting. Like that's an interesting approach. That's I, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. That's, I appreciate you know? that. I mean, that's kind of always what I, you know, always strived for was to kind of film stuff that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always took kind of like caution with filming certain things and uh, you know, because it's a, a lot like, you know, graffiti. It's like, you could write your name in one space, but it's much interest, more interesting <laughs> totally. up there, you know? It's more interesting up there. Yeah, absolutely. Who are, who are some people that like you have found interesting? Uh, over the years or now? Yeah, over the, over the years, like just in general, like if you were I mean, pull out like you know, your top five interesting skaters. Like. I mean, again, like Mark and, and Guy are the two kind of like, you know, Mark, yeah. obviously, Mark, considering yeah. like his whole, you know, beginning, you know. Yeah, and like, he's still pushing it. He's still put like, if you see him do something today, it's going to be pretty so, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah. he sends me videos, uh, via text message of him. No way. The curb. And you could still see it. Like he's, he's just the, his approach, the way he just even rolls up to something is so mm -hmm. much more interesting to me. Just the way yeah. he stands on his board is like a hundred. The more board is interesting and his boards. Yeah. It's crazy. But, um, and then guy, you know, what guy opened up in terms of a Pandora's box of tricks is insane yeah um you know obviously i mean there's there's a hundred different people um julian i love the julian. way Julian just stands on his board hands down you know at his side um rick ipseta comes to mind uh so so many different people uh so yeah. many people do you feel like do you feel like skaters on the east coast don't get enough uh like reverence or and i don't mean that like in any kind of way i'm just saying like on on the west coast because we have such like an overwhelming mass and everybody comes out to the west coast to be a pro and then they end up staying here but like on the east coast like there's been such amazing skateboarding and great skaters that have been just as good as you know any of these guys that we mentioned but like they just kind of seem to get lost in the pages sometimes there's 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 a lot of them but that just because they lived on the east coast isn't necessarily saying that you know if they would have been in California, they would have been greater, you know, yeah, sure. in sure. retrospect, maybe the lack of coverage of those folks on the East coast or wherever has kind of like, you know, it's accentuated or, or added to their appeal later on down the road, you know, yeah. um, you know, I mean, obviously uh, one person that comes to mind is Tom Graholsky, you know, he was, mm -hmm the lack of coverage of Tom Graholsky made him that much more appealing, you know, and then yeah. you see what he contributed to, to the kind of like, you know, to the culture. Um, and then, you know, that becomes more interesting too, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, did you think people, I mean, do people even have a choice anymore to be, you know, behind the scenes, I guess, as pro skaters, you know, like it kind of seemed like it, let's say eighties, nineties, early two thousands, somewhere in that ballpark. Like I felt like a pro had a little, maybe more control over like what their presence would be or how much of their presence they wanted out there. Whereas now it's like the, the volume is turned up so high yeah. and everybody's expecting a daily post or, you know, something like that. It just kind of gets blown out after a while. I, I, you know, obviously that's a factor, you know, the, the concept of, of expectation and output. If you watch something of someone every day, you're eventually going to get bored of it or, or you're, you know, uh, it's going to kind of like wear you out kind of thing. Yeah. It's also going to, you know, there's that, there's that whole concept of like, if you operate on a certain level every single day, and then all of a sudden you don't operate on mm -hmm. that level, there's going to be that sense of like let down or that person's lost it or whatever it is. Um, but I mean, back in the back pre-internet, you know, pre-Instagram, it was, there was, there was somebody else essentially controlling your output. Right, like a manager or something like that. Well, magazines, you know, Mags, yeah. you could shoot a photograph, but it was, it was Joe Schmo that was going to dictate whether or not that photograph made it into the magazine. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, it went through like probably a couple of different, I mean, you had to have a photograph shot of you by somebody. And then that photograph needed to be approved by somebody else. And then, it made it out into the magazines. Nowadays, you can take video of yourself and publish it yourself. Granted, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean everybody's going to see it because now right. you, have to, you know have subscribers or 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 followers on your YouTube channel. I mean, on your uh, Instagram account. But you know, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. I I, I don't really, totally. you know, yeah. I don't really know yeah. if one's better than the other. But you know, nowadays you know, it's, it's funny. Like speaking of guy, like his feed has been pretty, pretty quiet. His what Instagram feed? His Instagram feed has been pretty quiet, it's you know? Pretty, so it just keeps you in that anticipation of like, yeah. well, you know, where's it going to be? Same, Same thing, thing with you. I mean, like, you know, I, I haven't seen anything. I'm like, where's, where's the Bobby Pulio footage? Ha, I, uh, I tend to not post a lot of footage of myself. Yeah. You know? I only post, I only film what I think is interesting. And then even if I film it sometimes, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I still have footage in my camera that I'm like, ah, I don't feel like posting footage, you know? Yeah. Um, Mike Carroll's another one. He's Carroll's totally another one. He's, he's uh, very quiet on Instagram. I, I, I like to think that these guys have grown bored of Instagram and, uh, or, or see like some kind of potential danger in Instagram and have kind of abandoned it. But, uh, you know, it's also like, I don't know. Do you need to see Mike Carroll footage all the time? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there, there's, there's like the lost art form of just a good old fashioned photo, yeah. you know, like, and, and photo and print. I mean, you know, what, what do you think about print? Is print dead? Uh, uh, it depends for, you know, you're getting into like personal taste. You know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, if it was a magazine filled with like John Gibson photos, no, it's not dead. I want to see mm -hmm. that. You know? Right. But if it's like, you know, you know, Joe Schmo new, you know, creature am, do I want to see that? Eh, not really. I don't, yeah. I don't really, you know, so I, I haven't, you know, I haven't looked at like, a, 
I'm more interested in old photographs, especially stuff that you that might not have gotten printed or that you might not have seen or didn't, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, it was funny. I was I was clearing out like tons of uh, skate mags, tons, tons of years, years of worth. I, I didn't get rid of them. They're sitting in an attic now in my mom's house. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I was going through the eras and I was like 91. The, it was so thin. It was like paper thin. Yeah. And, and I, quite frankly, a lot of the photos were terrible. You know, the yeah. quality was bad, screen grabs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then you get up to like your early 2000s and photos were great. Very high quality. You know, there was like a lot of quality assurance during those times. Great, beautiful photos. But the magazines looked like a dictionary and I quite yeah. frankly didn't care about 99% of the people in them. Yeah. You know, and then like you get to the era now where the magazines are kind of gone. Actually, almost all of them are gone except for Thrasher. Yeah, for so sure. it's like it's been a real weird, interesting yeah, transition sure. to kind of see this whole thing. Yeah, it's know, interesting too. Like not only is not only is Thrasher the only existent magazine, but even even on even online, like Transworld's kind of like everything is gone except for Thrasher. You know, I mean, I think Transworld's still there, but they just didn't make it to where they were appealing. They didn't have this, the content, you know. Yeah. And they do. They're sitting on a crazy archive of stuff. But biggest. I don't know what it was. I mean, maybe it was management things, you know, in terms of like, I mean, obviously, you know, Transworld got shooken up, uh, you know, with a bunch of their older guys leaving the, the, the magazine to start Skateboard Mag, whereas Thrasher didn't really experience that. And who knows, maybe, like I said, maybe that was more of like a management or like, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, like Thrasher, I think has always done a really good job of being thrasher you know it's like you cross that bridge and you're in thrasher land you're yeah. in deluxe high speed whatever's going on over there that's it it's like the yeah, mafia yeah, yeah. you know yeah transworld never really had that they were kind of like again like very broad they didn't have that core super hardcore yeah. you know people get thrasher tattoos i never saw a transfer tattoo uh, yeah not to say it didn't exist but right, 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 let's be honest there's a lot of thrasher tattoos out there well you know the great thing about the great thing about transworld was was that it was it was the antithesis of thrasher yeah you know right. and so mm -hmm. you know if there's mofo there's grant yeah you know mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're equally uh incredible in terms of their you know their their uh history and what they've captured and and you know the rest. yeah i was a big slap fan yeah slap is interesting lance dawes um slap was cool yeah and he's you know he's coming out of the east coast which is interesting um yeah, it would be it'd be really interesting to to hear Lance talk about the beginning of Slap and how that whole thing came about. I'm sure he's on, I'm sure he's he talks about it a lot. I just haven't really uh, dug into that, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's funny because like we're we're seeing the unfolding of an industry, and you know I don't want to call it a sport, but I'll, I'll call it a culture. We're we're seeing it happen in real time, right? Like yeah. you can look back on baseball. Yeah or golf or something as well. It's been around for a hundred plus years, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, but we're, we're living it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we're yeah. seeing it happen. Yeah. And, you know, even like one of the questions that, that I had for you is like, you know, what does it look for, like for a skateboarder to age gracefully kind of still front and center, right? Like you could look at like a Tony Hawk or a Tony Hawk, really. I mean, you know, like Lance Mountain's still out there doing his thing, but you look at these guys are like, okay, they're kind of like setting that bar in a way yeah. of like that's that's what it looks like I mean, what's your what's your take on aging gracefully throughout skateboarding uh i i mean i don't know i guess it's just you know just always kind of like 
do things, put, put things out that, that, that other people can respect, you know, yeah. don't be a kook, obviously, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Tony Hawk has done some pretty wild shit in terms of like, you know, like McDonald's advertisements, but hundred percent, it's Tony yeah. Hawk. Like, what do you get? You know, the guy, there's only one Tony, the guys, uh, you know, his, his, his history is insane. You know, he, if there's anybody that can do it, it's him. You know, if Lance did a McDonald's commercial, we would all be like, what the hell? <laughs> It'd probably be great, but I would actually make it go to McDonald's if Lance did one. But, yeah, right. uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, you know, there's, there's two different ways. You either disappear or you, you know, yeah. turn up. Yeah, no, no, totally. I, I totally dig that. Um, I want to turn a corner here real quick and talk a little bit about, uh, your Instagram. Yeah. So where, what's, what's the, like the, the story here? Cause I kind of stumbled upon your page. Um, and I started going down deep down the rabbit hole to be perfectly honest. I was looking at a lot of your stuff in your feed and I didn't even know it was you that was behind it. I just started looking <laughs> at like the yeah. stories and I started reading like literally everything was super deep, super detailed. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is yeah. freaking crazy. You know, like how, how did you end up there? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a long story, but, uh, with the actual beginning of the Instagram account, uh, you know, I, I, I was light, I was late to Instagram. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of like, and to be honest, I was late to like cell phones, you know, I was late to cell phones. I was late to smartphones and iPhones. Uh, you know, I was only, I was given an iPhone by my ex-girlfriend and I was like, uh, you know, at first I didn't even want it because I was like, yeah. well, this, what do I need this for? Um, yeah. so with my ability to like take a quality picture, you know, connect to the internet, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, the, the start of the Instagram account really begins with experiencing nine yeah. 11, you know, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, you know, in terms of like everything that I post about, but when I went through nine 11, it, it shaped, uh, and it wasn't even until many years after that I started to realize that I had experienced something that was not only, um, I don't know, I don't want to say unique, but, you know, considering I was in New York at the time, you know, it was a little bit of a, a like, you know, I felt the, the shock of that thing. Sure. On, yeah home turf sort of so to speak um but it wasn't until many years later uh i would say around 2006 now the thing about skateboarding that's interesting in terms of like you know where my instagram account goes is that we have the alien workshop okay and the alien workshop way back in the late 80s early 90s uh dabbled in things that kind of were like whoa what are they what are they talking about here? Like, what mm-hmm. is this? You know, uh, you can get into Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and it's you know, it's you know, uh, close proximity to where the w- workshop was in Ohio, and uh, Carter and Hills, kind of like you know. The other interesting thing is that Hill is coming out of San Diego and riding for GNS, and GNS. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but GNS in the from the '70s on was a was a very conservative christian brand right I know that. 
Yeah. yeah. In fact, they used to say the team riders used to say that GNS stood for God Squad, the G and the N. No way. I never knew that. I love it. Yeah. So, so with that Christian fundamentalism, and and that's a whole you know kind of nugget unto itself, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when you get into like creationism and blah blah blah. So the workshop was kind of started, you know, partially out of a response to like, let's get away from these Christian fundamentalists. Um, and, you know, Hill and Carter can probably talk more about that. Sure. I don't I don't I've never met those guys. I've never spoken to them. But from what I gather. But anyhow, uh, so the workshop in the late 80s, early 90s was giving us this dose of, you know, kind of like you know, the closest thing I can kind of describe to it in terms of like, you know, um, uh, documented sort of, you know, data, if you will, was like the uh, Behold a Pale Horse, which was also being circulated around that time. And, you know, you're getting these things of like, you know, kind of like alien stuff, you know, which mm -hmm. is like early kind of conspiracy theory, if you will. Uh, so, so the alien workshop kind of gave skateboarding a little dose of like kind of counterculture or, or yeah, an alternative right. way to think about what was kind of happening around us, you know? Uh, so when nine 11 happened, I was like, all right, boom, this is some, this is wild shit. This is next level shit. You know, obviously I didn't go through like world war two or Vietnam, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this was kind of like this, this event that was shaping my, you know, my life, so to speak, uh, in real time. And after 9-11, I was like, all right, you know, I started to kind of, I started to religiously follow national public radio because in New York, you know, I, we have a lot of great, like kind of independent news sources in New York, but NPR was kind of at the dial tone. It was, uh, you know, had its own kind of whatever. And I started to like become obsessed with what was happening. You know, is, is this going to happen again? Is it going to happen next right. week? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to use the term traumatized, but obviously that was a very traumatizing event. So I started to kind of pay attention to what was happening. And then a friend of mine suggested, I see a film called loose change. And Loose Change had just come out. Yeah, okay? I've seen that. And if you've never seen Loose Change, I obviously now I don't agree with a lot that was in Loose Change. But at the time, you're talking about this sort of like blossoming sort of movement. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of people that were talking about 9-11, not only right after it happened, but even guys like uh, Bill Cooper who were talking about it potentially happening before it even happened okay right right so so long story short my instagram account is basically a documentation of things that i have found interesting mm -hmm. in this post 9 11 experience okay yeah. and a lot of it a lot of it revolves around um uh what i would describe as you know it's there is a term but incident incidences that that happened to kind of show their face pre 9-11, what people would call predictive programming. For instance, one of the greatest uh, examples of that is Neo's passport in the Matrix, 
having its expiration date flashed on the screen and the expiration date in 1999, when the film came out, the expiration date was 9-11-2001. Okay. On the same passport, it lists his birth date as September 13th, I believe. Okay. But there's another scene in the film where they show his criminal record and it, and his birth date on his criminal record is 311. Okay. Now three and 11 is obviously three times 11 is 33 in the Scottish rite of Freemasonry. The highest degree is 33, but the 311 now taking it kind of like, you know, fast forwarding 311 is when the world health organization declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. So you have his birth date, his criminal record, okay, which a criminal record is when you've committed a crime, okay, on your passport, the passport is allowing you to move freely around the globe, which is kind of a crazy concept unto itself. Super, yeah. Why do you need a passport to move around? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But his birth date on his passport, which allows him to move around, is September 13th, and on his criminal record, it's 311. The criminal record allows you to not move around, right? It incarcerates you or whatever it is, you know. So for those of you listening here, this is why you got to follow Bobby (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) Because every post goes deep into this. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it's just now, now you can get into it. You either have to take that as coincidence. Right, right. Which would then kind of kind of create the, the, the concept of coincidence theory. Or was there somebody scripting these dates that knew the, the, the potential numerological significance of them in the future or at the current time, right? Is it possible that 9-11 might hold some type of credence or significance in the world of a potential body of information and that date is used as a date that is significant throughout our calendar. Same thing goes with 311, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting because like, like when, when 9-11 happened, um, for a lot of folks like myself as well started looking at these documentaries and things kind of came into our realm, yeah. right? It kind of opened up our eyes. And again, you know, maybe these documents were 100% true, not 100% true, like who knows really, but sure. it was kind of like that first opportunity to be presented with an alternative narrative. And right. you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So I kind of went to elementary school, school, this whole thing. Mom and dad told me X, Y, and Z. I went to church and they told sure. me that. Yeah. And now I'm being confronted with something and it's so coincidental. It's challenging. And then it's a little scary because the deeper you go down the rabbit hole, you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. This stuff has been in motion for like years. So while I thought everything was just this normal existence, there was this whole like engine that's sure. been kind of doing these things, right? If, if you subscribe to that theory. Sure. And then like you, you know, fast forward, you get to your situation of today. And when things unfold, you're like, oh, this is kind of like what happened 20 years ago. There must have been some things in motion way before. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. And, and honestly, it's like skateboards, like we do not talk about these things. It's very taboo. It's very passe. Most of us don't want to know about it. We definitely, you know what I'm saying? Like skate, like skating is so funny because it's so like one layer. It's like, let's talk about kickflips. Let's talk about Kirky grinds. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some music maybe. And that's about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like we yeah. never really want to go like there, you know? Yeah. Well, again, that's why I referenced the alien workshop is because, you know, the workshop was giving a little dose of this all pre nine 11, you know, which is kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. New world order 
and the concept of you know the 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 chip, my, you know the chip you know the mm -hmm. mark of the beast yada 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 and and this is where it butts up with christian fundamentalism in a certain respect you know mm -hmm. but uh it's definitely it's definitely interesting information how you how you digest it how you process it is your own your own thing 100% but you know yeah. the 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 interesting thing about being confronted with this information as a skateboarder is that much in the way this information is is produced and kind of like circulates throughout you know uh regular culture it's usually tied into this concept of you know being uh distributed by a secret society okay now what i always found interesting is that as a skateboarder i was part of this sub society of you know you know people mm -hmm. or culture yeah. Yeah. that that was kind of operating as like a small percentage of the population that had our own language and yeah. had our own ways of dressing and had our own had our own like symbols if you will you know what i'm yeah. saying like also our own power our own power structures and our own power structure that. absolutely which was based on what like this dude grinds this bench better than this you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. the other thing is graffiti mm -hmm. is that whole subculture as well where you have yeah. you don't understand the language then you can't really you're not going to be able to have a conversation with many folks that don't also speak right. the language yeah so you know what i always, what I always respect is a sidebar what i've always respected a lot about graffiti more so than what i've seen in skateboarding is like it, it's so real and so in your face like you'll get knocked out that's what's up period end of story you'll it's get stomped also, out like you're gonna you go to jail if you get caught you go to jail like the stakes are super high we're in skateboarding yeah. i've seen so many things slide i'm like <laughs> that yeah. would never fly that that you, you know, know that's i and and the other thing is like it's not that you can't die skateboarding but you know graffiti is all about risk it's all about you know, risk the yeah. merits of graffiti are are all based on risk and really exposing yourself to some serious some serious elements you know yeah some serious yeah. Uh, not, that was a little side by the way. not very similar i mean the two it is it's very similar yeah. yeah i always thought of like you know skateboarding isn't a lot of people talk about it like the fifth element you know granted it wasn't around back then it did start in california with surfers you know yeah. but it does in many respects feel like the fifth element of hip-hop yeah. in so many regards and you know again just going back into like the early days of you know skateboarding you know much like the workshop you had guys like stesic who were documenting like venice uh, graffiti and gang culture and, and kind of, yeah, melding, right. you know, melding that in with, uh, this sort of things, because a lot of the times back in the day, the graffiti, uh, the, the skateboarders were kind of like, you know, the outcasts and they had to kind of form their own little clicks or crew, 100%. You know? Yeah. Whereas nowadays you go to the skate park and that's kind of like your, you know, there's mom and dad at the skate park, you know, whereas it, back in the day, mom and dad were not at the Brooklyn banks, you know, it was more mm. of like a, renegade uh thing where nowadays if your mom and dad were at the brooklyn banks they were probably a straight up thug yeah yeah or there was a reason they were there so <laughs> yeah 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 so uh i think quim mike and quim cardona their mom used to drive them to the banks and i, I don't know if she would hang out but yeah it's pretty pretty sick that's tight yeah i love quim man quim's so rad mm -hmm. um cool man well look bob you've been like more than gracious with your time and Thanks for kind of explaining that Instagram feed. Because yeah, yeah, I'm glad it's that dope. You it's it. dope. You know, I was, I was curious, like, how much time do you spend on the on those posts? So you got to spend a fair amount of time before you put something up. Now, well, again, you know, a lot of what I post is revolves around what I've 
what I've digested throughout my experience. Okay. Okay. You know? Yeah. So it's so, like, it's kind of already in, in there. Yeah. So, so a lot of the times, you know, you might be taking information from 10 or 15 years ago and you're like, wait a second. Okay. This, 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 and this, and, you know, again, like something with something, for instance, like Neo's, Neo's criminal record, that wasn't a thing up until, up until March 11th. That's you know, true. With the That's true. Yeah. Situation, you know, it was only until after March 11th. And then it's kind of like, even after that, that someone in the community points it out and they're like, oh, wow, look at that, you know? So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of other things that, that Neo uh, matrix thing was a thing way before March 11th coronavirus slash whatever. So, um, so things are constantly popping up. There's also, you know, this concept of energizing certain things, you know, yes, these are deep, dark rabbit holes and breadcrumb trails and yada, 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 yada. And, you know, you, to a certain extent are, for better or for worse, you're energizing these concepts, you know, you're giving them legs. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks, you know, will look at some of this stuff and be like, that's absurd, you know, because the two concepts are not tied together. But, it, you know, I, I want to say that my Instagram account, I, in my personal opinion, it documents enough connections between certain things that are seemingly uh, not tied together it documents enough things that it's kind of like maybe maybe there is some something here you know yeah um, totally you know no, they, it's right it's right i mean I, th- I think you're doing a public service i mean you know like to present it's again you could take it back to art it's like we always say this at art form it's like create and present yeah create and present like this those are the things i can control right i can create something and i can put it out there yeah yeah pretty much it right yeah, I don't know you know, what, how it's going to be received. That's and, not my job. The, 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 the real scary thing is that it hasn't yet become a criminal offense to present information. You know, not yet. Not yet. You're definitely moving in that direction because now you're getting into this concept of like, you know, misinformation is, is harmful to people. And, you know, yeah. but, but it's still not, it's still not, a criminal offense to be wrong about something. So in a, in a sense, what I'm doing is I'm analyzing data that's fed to me by this machine, which is, you know, corporate media or pop culture or, you know, this movie or whatever it is. And I'm reinterpreting it or interpreting it, you know, and uh, I'm saying, you know, much like a skateboarder would look at a certain spot, you know, they, I'm just looking at it like slightly differently. You know, I also, you know, I have a network of folks that, you know, there's definitely things I listen to on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'm gathering information from a lot of different sources and I'm just kind of like, to be honest, a lot of the stuff on my Instagram feed comes from Wikipedia, (laughs) you know? And now now the thing about Wikipedia is that it's a malleable, it's, it's, you know, you, you can, you can influence information on Wikipedia, but for the most part, the date that this person was born, you know, is kind of like it's accepted as like basically, you know, right, right. Person was born. I made a I made a post today about the the man who wrote the Turner Diaries, and the Turner Diaries. Up until recently, I had never even heard of the Turner Diaries, and if I did, it kind of like slipped through the cracks. But the Turner Diaries is this book that was written, I think, in 1978, right? 
And if you, you know, you could read about the, the Turner Diaries. And it turns out that the Turner Diaries was this huge influence in, in uh, you know, the mindset of like all of these like criminal or ter terrorist acts, okay? Now, this book was written in 1978, okay? One of the major incidences that this book is, is connected to is the Oklahoma City bombing, okay? They say Timothy McVeigh, you know, uh, this was a huge influence in Timothy McVeigh's thought process, okay? For one, not only was Timothy McVeigh executed on June 11th, okay? Now think about that, that's 6-11, you flip that upside down and reverse it, it's 9-11, okay? So he blows up a building and he's executed on 9-11. But the guy who wrote the Turner Diaries was born on September 11th, 1933. That's crazy. What are the chances you're going... <laughs> now, granted, the chances are there that it's just coincidence. Of course, yeah. Or... A mathematical coincidence, right? Right. A or, one in a billion. Yeah, or yeah. it's... In my opinion, it's much more likely that these things are being scripted for you so that you are taking them on, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, and they're resonating with ideas of uh, disharmony. You know, they're creating, they're creating things inside your person that are going to influence you on like a traumatic level and when you get into the concept of ruling over people right as an agency whether it's you know quote governmental or mm -hmm. corporate right when you get into the concept of ruling over people or controlling people for your own profit or your own uh safety measures right because we don't have we don't have kings and queens for their own health you know they, they they are they are one person or a group of a small group of people essentially ruling over a large body of people for profit right sure. so they're more of like an, they're more of like an ideal or a, that like people ascribe to because of some sense of safety that right like if you really think about one king ruling it's like one human being cannot control that many people one person with a group of people that have been empowered right i mean you kind of go down yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way so so now when you get into those systems of, of of maintaining power, there's nothing that that says that the the group of people that they rule over could easily dispose of them because they, they're far outnumbered by this massive group of people that they rule over. But what they want to do as a small group of people is they want to influence the people that they rule over so that they don't they're not disposed. Right? right. And the way you do that, they understand that they can't do that through physical force because it's just there's just too many people. So what they need to do is they need to influence their mind and they almost need to convince people that it's it's, you know, uh, that it's uh, not worth it for them to challenge the power structure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, totally. Totally. I mean, and, and we're seeing a lot of that today. In many, in, in many regards. I mean, you know, it's been happening in countries all over the world and it's kind of like an age old thing, but if for whatever reason, this last year is just kind of like ramp things up, you know, this, this last year is, is unprecedented in terms of uh, consolidation of power. 
because you're yeah. getting into movement, you know, and like I said, again, mm-hmm. going back to that concept of the passport, you have essentially created a situation where people not only are afraid to leave their houses in certain places, it's, it's against the law to kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you're getting- sure. yeah, I heard, I heard they're giving away tickets and downtown LA and skid row for $1,500 if they catch you without a mask. That's what I heard yesterday. Now, <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know if that's true, but if you go to skid row, I, you know, yeah. and again, are they handing out $1,500 tickets to homeless people without masks? No. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but you know, honestly, like we, I feel like we can go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, a, I want to put some, book, some bookends here. So I, I usually have two questions um, that I like to wrap things up with here. Mm-hmm. So if you're walking down the street, Mm-hmm. And you see a skateboarder there mm-hmm. and you roll up on him and you notice that it's young Bobby and he's all of 17 years old. What do you tell him? I don't say anything to him. I let him skate by. <laughs> okay. All right. I love I that. Avoid him. Why is that? I, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> I love it. I, mean, I haven't heard that one, but I'm, I, I, I love it. I love the advice. I, you know, <laughs> I, it's maybe some of the smartest advice. Um, cool. Uh, if there was an artist, any artist, dead or alive, that you could have coffee with, and if you were only allowed to really just ask them one question, who would that artist be and what would oh, that one question yeah. be? That's a tough question. I mean, t- well, to be honest, uh, when you say artist, you, uh, you know, it could, I, be, it could be any kind of artist. It doesn't have to be a painter. It could be a dancer. A yeah. Singer, yeah. Yeah. So, writer, so recently scary. I've been watching a lot of Ricky Powell's stuff since he passed away. Yeah. Rest and, in peace. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to, to kind of hang out with Ricky Powell a couple times and kind of shoot the shit with him. But I wish, you know, now that he's passed away, it's like, ah, uh, there's so much stuff I'd love yeah. to talk to him about. Granted that, you know, what's great is that he did do a lot of interviews and get a he lot did. of great stuff. But uh, I have to admit when uh, when he would show the photographs of Basquiat or Andy Warhol, those two people considering that they're not around, you know, those two folks, uh, especially Andy Warhol, blah, blah, blah. Those might sound like kind of, you know, kind of lame. Uh, but I don't know. Those two guys kind of, I, I, you know what it is? I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in New York in the eighties, in the mid eighties, yeah. early and mid eighties. Uh, because that's right before when I started coming to New York and, uh, especially unsupervised, like without my parents. Uh, so I would, I'm just more curious, like to, to kind of like, you know, get, I like hearing stories about how New York was in the eighties. So those two guys, I think would probably have the best stories to tell. Um, so yeah, I would kind of like, you know, yeah. Okay. Fair. Hey, Basquiat and Warhol. Come on. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, that's that's a good one. That's a good combo there. Um, all right, cool. Well, um, we're going to get this thing posted up and, you know, I always like to show love as well. So if, you know, what are you up to, where can people find you? Like, do you want to be found? Um, you know, my what do you want to put out there? Yeah, my Instagram account is a good is a good place to start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, keep on pushing. Cool, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Have a good one.